welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show where we talk about short video games, the kind of thing you can pick up and complete in an evening or a weekend. I'm your host, Reagan Kelly, and I am joined this week by, once again, my full complement of co-hosts. First off, how are you doing, Shane? I'm doing pretty great, and uh, I am in the same room with you. That's pretty great, because I'm here. Oh, hey, I'm leaning into this mic. We are sitting around the same microphone, which is going to be awkward because we have to get our faces really close together. Yes. So apologies in advance for any audio issues on this episode. Shane and I are in the same place for once because yesterday was our 30th birthday. Happy birthday. birthday. That's right. Thank you. Actually, it's a week for big events for the short game because I'm also joined by Nate Heininger, who is newly married. Yay! Yay! I'm the only hey one that didn't get to go to the wedding. That's all right. How's it working I, out so far, Nate? Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, not much uh, dramatic change uh, yet, but still opening uh, cards and stuff, and uh, it's good. I haven't good. sent him one yet. <laughs> you signed mine. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't send him a gift yet. Oh, uh, I've held it personally against you. I had a I had a, a whole thing set aside that was like Reagan's gift with like exclamation points, and I was going to put you know words underneath it. I read on the internet that you have a year. <laughs> Where did you read that? That is actually read true, it? and I've banked on that heavily for like the ten friends' weddings that I've gone to and failed to buy them gifts. So. Uh, I, I never have once held that against anybody. Yeah, I, f- I figure eventually I'll have a cool idea for a wedding present. And, <laughs> and just before you forget that you got married, I'll swoop in with a cool wedding present. You know what? Just being on this show, you guys. Wow. That's a gift enough for me. <laughs> that's very sweet. And of course, I am also joined this week by a charming co-host who has no major life events occurring this week that I'm aware of. Laura Nash, how are you doing, Laura? I'm doing great, even though I'm super boring. No, I wouldn't say boring. I would say... Stable? Um, you, are, you are the anchor that this wild and crazy podcast relies on. We're all turning 30 and questioning our very lives. Dirty 30. And I'm just moving on in the existential smooth pasture that is 29. So. Do we need to uh, get off air for a minute and just all talk for a little while about where we uh, where we are right now? Well, coincidentally <laughs> enough, the game we're covering today is pretty much an existential crisis. Yeah. <laughs> so we're all in the right place for it. Well, you three are. I think this game put us in a place. <laughs> this game made me feel like shit. This week, we are talking about The Beginner's Guide by Davey Ryden. Uh, if you, uh, have been following the short game, you know that we were kind of obsessed with his first game, which was the Stanley parable. Um, and actually a lot of people were, and, uh, that's part of the theme, I think, of this game. Um, the, the beginner's guide is a really, really profoundly unusual, narrative game experience um you know davy after the huge success of the stanley parable had what seemed like kind of a public bout with depression and it really seems like this game is 
the product of that. It's something that he grew out of and, you know, used to share his feelings after this bout he had with depression following the success of his first game, The Stanley Parable. It's also, though, a game that seems to kind of defy that kind of analysis uh, in terms of trying to say, like, can I look at a game and, and read into the psychological state of the person that created it? I think the game itself wants to say, no, you can't do that. So I wonder if we can really we can really even begin to speculate in that way. I think there are four or five different like key major questions or at least points that the game tries to get it across um, that we could go into point by point. But I think we should probably just start by kind of breaking down what it is you're doing in this game, because that kind of is also very, very unique. And from there, I think at least a little bit, we'll be able to get into discussion of what this game is about. Yeah, well, the game is an hour and a half-ish long, um, and it's a series of short games um, within a shorter game. Um, and it's kind of a director's commentary on these games. It's as if um, this designer named Coda has made these short games very experimental, and the entire time you're playing them, you're getting um, a narration about what the game means or what the mechanics, um, what the interpretation of the mechanics mean to um, the author. And it's completely done in the first person, um, you know, the creator speaking as himself. So I, I think it's probably important before we dive in too much to kind of make some basic distinctions here. Um, this is a game by Davey Weinman, the game creator, but he's also sort of a character in it. You know, it, there, it, Davey, the character uh, in this game, is our narrator, and he's presenting this collection of games by his, his friend Coda, uh, who's only ever named as Coda in the game. Interesting in that you know, we might contrast this a bit with, uh, with the Magic Circle, which also has a character named Coda, but this is a, a different sort of thing. Davey was really interested in Coda's work between 2008, when they met, and 2011, when Coda apparently stopped making games entirely. And uh, what Davey is doing is hoping to try to show these games that, that moved him by his friend Coda, in the hopes that kind of giving them an audience by collecting them, doing a bit of commentary on them, and trying to get people to you know check them out, um, that he would be hopefully encouraging Coda to come back to making games, or at least that's his stated purpose at the beginning of the game. Yeah, and he treats it as this, as if this was a a real world thing that happened, and he introduces himself as the developer and writer of the hit game, The Stanley Parable. Yeah, he so even goes so he, far as to give his email address, which may or may not be real, in the in the voiceover. So he's it, it has a sort of a verisimilitude that really seems like. This is the sort of thing that, you know, somebody has rounded up a bunch of neat, short examples of clever game design and is presenting them for you to experience. And I will just say right now that we are going to have a lot of difficulty talking about this without spoiling it. So if this premise sounds interesting and you want to explore for yourself, I might stop now. Yeah, actually, it's that's only an hour point. and a half. Uh, as a yeah. game that's an hour and a half long, there's... There's so little that you can say about it without spoiling things. Go ahead and give it a check out. 
Yeah, or take a look at yeah. some of the really excellent articles about this game that I think will probably do a bit better job of of spoiler-free discussion of it than we probably can in our format. Um, I really, really enjoyed the article on uh, Boing Boing's Offworld blog, um, which was titled pretty appropriately, The Beginner's Guide is a Game That Doesn't Want to Be Written About. It's by Laura Hudson, and I'll have a link in the show notes. Um, so this really is a game that doesn't want to be talked about without like any discussion of this game is going to necessarily be sort of about its themes and ideas. And all of those may seriously be considered as spoilers. Um, So if you, if you want a fresh unspoiled experience and haven't played this game yet, this game is available on steam for $10. So you can plunk down your nine 99 and experience your one and a half hours of really interesting narrative game experience it's almost more like an audio book with a visual like with it with a first person controlled like you're really not playing very much you're just moving forward or left and right as davy talks to you and he does a very very good job by the way i was immediately kind of pulled in it's a character study really of the first order like it's um it's a it's a really deep character study both of Coda and of Davy the character and if that sort of exploration of the psychology of a couple of interesting mysterious maybe but slightly broken people is interesting to you then this would definitely be worth playing and uh, I would set aside an hour and a half of your night to play it yeah, I th- I think this game has more to say than m- any of the other. Maybe it doesn't go as deep as the other games, but has hits more topics and more interesting conversation than any of the other games that we've played that are about a more about theme or more about um you know, I, I guess like the Stanley Parable is like a game about playing games. Like, what does it mean? Do you really have choice in games in a world that's been created for you? Um, and that's kind of like the thing that the Stanley Parable talks about. With this game, it's like, what does it mean to be creative? Just because you're creative doesn't mean it's actually fun. It could be incredibly painful to be creative. Uh, what does it mean to be a um, like a star developer? Like expectations. Um, you can just keep going on and on, and all of this is hit in shorter than any of the other games that we've done that um, hit topics like this. I mean, it's also much, much more explicit. It is not subtle in its themes. I mean, they're stated directly. Um, not only will you, you know, just if the really odd thing to me about playing this game is there's no real space for you to draw your own conclusions while you're playing it. Um, because you're getting this commentary the entire time. So if you have a stray thought, you know, there's someone who has been putting a lot of effort into analyzing this game, giving you a more academic, a better informed, uh, a very fleshed out opinion. So it's very easy to waltz through this game, just kind of walking and listening and letting that interpretation steer you to the end. Um, And I found it really interesting that um, and again, if you haven't played, stop listening because this is going to be a spoiler. Um, but at the end, when 
Davy questions himself and all of his interpretations are challenged by Coda. It is kind of a wake up call to not just listen to the critics, not just listen to the auteur, not just listen to the director to make up your own mind because the entire game is feeding you its opinions. And I think a lot of this game, what happens to you afterwards is more interesting than what happens to you while you play it. Yeah. Except the game did make me feel terrible. If this, uh, if we are now post spoiler break and we didn't really place a firm spoiler break, but we gave several warnings. So I think we're probably okay. Um, if you're still listening, I'm going to assume that you've, you've played the game to completion all hour and a half of it. So I'm, I'm sure that that didn't take you very long. Um, so I finished playing the game and I really felt like I needed, I needed some help kind of processing what I had just played because there's this certain, there's a certain sort of feeling at the end of the game where I was, I was playing through the game on Davy's side. If there are sides in this, I played through the game thinking about, uh, Coda's work in much the same way that Davy had thinking, wow, this is a really interesting guy who's creating a lot of work. Uh, that makes, you know, that, that says something deep about who he is and about where he is in his life. You know, these prison games that he's creating, you know, surely what that must mean is that he's depressed or that he, you know, that he, you know, he needs people to reach out to him. And I really was, I was buying into Davy's interpretation of everything. And then when the game turns at the end, I felt a little bit like I had not only just had maybe I been taken for a ride by Davy, but I felt a little bit like it seemed like we, the player, had been kind of made complicit in exploiting uh, Coda's work or privacy, and it felt kind of gross. Yeah, I mean, it felt like instead of having a friend opened up to you about their problems, it felt like, you know, sneaking a look at their diary. Yeah. And then sharing that with people and saying oh, I found out that my friend has a problem because she wrote it right here. See this diary entry, this very personal thing I'm going to expose. It's tricky because there is no real evidence that Coda cared even remotely as deeply about these games as Davy did, especially once you the revelation that Coda inserted a lot of his own stuff or I'm sorry, Davey inserted a lot of his own stuff into these games. And I, and so it made me, like, I, I will say, like, right out of the gates, I kind of had a feeling that Davey was, was like, the main player as far as who was having the problems. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know if that's just, like, um, like, it's almost such a trope. And this game does it fine. But it is almost a trope where, like, if you have a piece of media where somebody is analyzing someone that might be like really dark or really twisted or whatever, like at this point, like it's a 75% chance that the <laughs> one who's doing the analyzing is the one who's, you know, crazy or whatever. And so I just kind of bought into that immediately and assumed it was, uh, Davey was the one who had the problems and it, and Coda was just maybe a regular guy who liked to make really simple games because we haven't really talked about what the games are very much. And I know we're kind of going post we're assuming most of the people have played. Well, we're 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 yeah. kind of jumping around, but maybe now would be a good time to actually kind of back up a little bit and talk about the actual progress through the games. Um Yeah, I I, I when I started playing these games, Reagan and I were playing them together and the thing that really struck me at first was that I thought the games were crap. 
<laughs> and they kind of were. Yeah, well, they are. And you keep being told how good the game, how deep the games are, and you're like, mm. and that's what I mean. I don't. I am not convinced that Coda wasn't just doing these little games on his spare time. Didn't really care about him, and or maybe yeah. cared, but wasn't. It wasn't like this deep, wonderful masterpiece that Davy became obsessed with and tried to find meaning in it because he has his own deep-seated problems. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, it starts off like with the first. The first game that we see is this level for Counter Strike, and it's basically just a mishmash of all the built-in assets that are already in Counter-Strike. I think the layout is even, like, basically one of the default Counter-Strike yeah, levels. So, it's a lot like D-Dust if you guys played Counter-Strike. And then there's just some floating blobs and some floating crates. Well, yeah, to show his artistic nature. Or he just was bad. Yeah, so so Davy's interpretation is that, okay, well, this is, this is you know, it, it shows that this is a... Uh, this is a you know not non-realistic world. It breaks the illusion and it gives us a window through into the creator. And I'm like, no, it gives us a window through into the level editor. Well, you know, and that's really the that's and, really Davy's key sort of uh, conceit, or like Davy the character. The point that Davy the character is trying to make is, well, by looking at these games, we can understand something about Coda who created them. Or even maybe more broadly, just by looking at art, we can understand the inner workings of the people that created it. And the whole game is kind of trying to support that. And then it it, it, it tends to sort of fall apart at the end. And I think that's sort of the central, maybe maybe part of the central message of this of this piece is like, no, you really kind of can't understand the deep inner workings of an artist just by experiencing their work. Yeah, I guess the 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 ultimate thing that it points out is like that when you're examining art you're learning about yourself more than you're learning about the artist yeah and i if i had to guess i would imagine that this was a spring from um people making a lot of assumptions about davy the real human based off of his writing and uh is design of the Stanley parable because you could make a lot of assumptions about the person who made the Stanley parable and it doesn't necessarily mean that he's actually that type of person. Yeah. In our review of the Stanley parable, I think we, we talked about the article that Davey wrote where he did a little comic talking about how much of his own self-worth he found was being invested in the game of the year awards that his mm. game was getting. And I found it hard to kind of separate my interpretation of this from what I remember about that. Because that's one of the first things that I, I read from the developer when we were looking at the Stanley Parable was his bout with depression as referenced by, as triggered by his investment of his self-worth in his Game of the Year awards. And all the things that he wrote about it, um, it was very difficult for me to, to look at this and not see him pointing to Coda as, as sort of like a a part of himself that was a, the creator that he was he was seeing himself as um, this depressed creator and looking at his own work well that's really interesting because I didn't seek out the article knowing I was going to play this game and the you know as blind as possible going in and um, I definitely got the impression that he was responding to 
game press and game criticism and kind of game culture through the, you know, I mean, hell, there's a part where a bunch of, you know, yellow headed people with the word press on their heads are holding out mics towards you. Like it's a lot about audience and, you know, what a love of a game means and what the pressure on a creator is. So I got some of that permeating the game anyway. But when I finished, I actually had a, I will call it a conundrum. It's not definitely not a moral crisis, but I was not sure if I wanted to look up other opinions about this game because I felt like everyone was going to be trying to get the true interpretation. And this game is definitely against looking elsewhere for an interpretation of the game and trying to use backstory on a creator to interpret a game. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the same, the same way I've, uh, I, I, I did go back and reread the, the comic that Shane was referencing, but I, I kind of like just having played it and thought about it while playing it and thinking about it afterwards. And I'm happy to talk to you guys about it, but like, I don't want, I, I, there's, I don't really feel like I need um, more interpretation of it, even though I have a lot of questions. But those are, I think, you know, I think a good piece of art asks more questions than it answers, right? And so um, I don't necessarily think you need those answers always. This is a little off track, but it made me think a lot about... uh, So this isn't the first piece of art that uh, someone gets really popular off of something that is kind of lighthearted, and then their follow-up is incredibly dark. Um, And... (laughs) <laughs> this is kind of silly, but the very first Eminem record is called the Slim Shady LP. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's su- I mean, he's just making fun of everyone and it's really lighthearted and whatever. And he became worldwide famous. And obviously, uh, Davey from Stanley Parable did not become worldwide famous. But in the indie game world, he got mm-hmm. really, really, really famous, right? Um, and Marshall Mathers LP, the second one that came out, is entirely about like his entire life has changed uh people everywhere he goes people will not get off his back and his art has suffered because he can't really be himself anymore because people have these expectations built off of him and i think this game in a lot of silly ways is like (laughs) davies marshall mathers lp it's also awesome but it's far darker and not near like i don't think i laughed other than like a dark, like, oh, that's kind of like, that was a little twisted laugh. Whereas Stanley Parable was like giggling the entire game because of how funny it was. I think it's a really good, uh, that's a really good comparison, even though I'm not an <laughs> Eminem fan. Um, but I think the other thing that I think really impressed me about this was just how well he told the story he set out to tell here. Um, like I, I was really going into this fearing that it was going to be self-indulgent and that it was going to be like, like, I, I think you could easily look at a game like this and think this guy made a game about himself, about poor me. I'm an indie developer that made, you know, made good and think this is going to be this self-indulgent, really slightly annoying thing. And, and he made a couple of really, really smart decisions that I think helped avoid those pitfalls. And I'm, I I wanted to call it a couple of things that I thought were really smart about it. The biggest one is just like, he could easily have made this game where, you know, a, a game wherein he presented a bunch of little pieces that he made and present them as by himself or in some other way, like present them as like, 
his early work or something like that. Maybe have a third party act as the narrator. Maybe get that British guy back from the Stanley parable, something like that. But something about the way that he abstracts this, the way that he he's talking about the work of another person, Coda. Of course, it's also it's really, truly his work. But, you know, it's not Davy the character's work where, you know, Davy the character is trying to focus his attention on Coda. And yet we still do have Davy the character, which isn't truly Davy the artist in the work. It's just this sort of weird alchemy that just does just enough to, to allow Davy, the, the game designer, to make a game that is really about his own view of the world and his own experience without feeling truly self-indulgent. I think it's a little bit of alchemy. I think it's really kind of like I ex- I went into this expecting a much more self-indulgent feeling experience than I ended up coming out with. I really felt like this was a game that 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 did a great job of examining its its concepts without feeling like, you know, wankery or something, which is really what I was I, fearing. I don't think it feels like wankery, but I I do <laughs> think that the intrusiveness of the commentary that you honestly like I might have liked these games more had I come to them on my own and been allowed to explore and come to my own conclusions but there's a persistent you know explanation the entire time Um, and it is really oppressive and I think at the end when you know Coda wants him to go away I mean I, I didn't think he was annoying I just wanted you know, if these games were any good, I wanted them to stand on their own. I like. I probably would have actually liked a theater game um, where they're, you know, talking to the woman about professionalism. I probably would have really enjoyed that game had I been able to explore it on my own. Not only was, you know, some of the moments were telegraphed, but every time I did a choice, he'd be like, oh, well, this is what this means. Because it was if I wasn't intelligent enough to come to it on my own. And it meant... You know, at the end of the game, he actually said, you know, he was being a twat and it's part of the game that he won't leave people alone and he has to overanalyze. But um, it was funny to have that feeling of oppression and like just validated at the end. Didn't make me feel better, but it was really frustrating for me to play this game and have someone telling me how I should feel the entire time. But I... I I think that's that is as you kind of said yourself. That's the point, though. Like that is all character building. Like everything in there is a decision. I, I, it's not pleasant. It, it's completely what he wants, but I would say it's not a pleasant feeling. Yeah, it's specifically not pleasant. Yes, <laughs> it's a downer. It is, but you also kind of feel for both characters. Like, well, at least I did. I don't think you want to come down as totally anti Davy the character in this. Nor do because you you know he's. I I feel like he is a sympathetic figure. He's just, he's dealing with his own shit and he's not doing it in a particularly good way. Something I really liked from, um, Emily Short wrote a piece about this game on her blog and um, um, she writes, uh, several reviews has described the game as self-indulgent. Certainly Davy the character is portrayed as self-indulgent, but I think the beginner's guide makes the most sense if Davy, the author, is in sympathy with both Davy, the character, and Coda, the character, exploring the tension between wanting to know and be known and wanting security and privacy. 
needing validation and fearing exposure, wanting to be productive and visible and feeling that the creative wellspring has dried up. And I think that's really the the tension of the game. That's this, you know, this back and forth between this this drive for fame maybe, but also really just sort of community. You know, I understand that feeling that Davy the character has of, I mean, heck, we're podcasters that talk about other people's work for hours a week into microphones. I understand the feeling that of of joy that you get from presenting work made by another person that you like and enjoy and presenting it to somebody else and saying, check this cool thing out. You get a little bit of this reflected joy, the joy of creation for a creation that's not yours. That's what podcasting is to me in a sense. And so I get that, that, that I get the, the joy of that feeling. And I also see the dark side of that. There's the joy in presenting something, but there's also the joy um, in the difficulty and often like loneliness in creating something. Yeah. Like making something brand new um, and where someone sees the final product and they say, wow, that must have been a pure joy to create when in reality very often it's not it is a it is a difficult and often um and th- not this isn't all coming entirely from my experiences but often like painful experience to, to finally finish something that you're ready to to release as yourself and then the reception of it is a like if you truly made something and people give you their opinion on it, it is in many ways an opinion of you. Um, and those two themes, the one you were talking about and that one are deeply invested in this game. The way we're approaching this game is very much saying more about us than anything else. Yeah. I mean, that's the point. I that's come why to this, this, it's so successful. Yeah. yeah it, I come to games wanting to explore and have surprises. So of course the thing that took me off the most was a narrator telling me everything that was happening. Um, and, um, when I was, you know, exploring the community and he was like, this guy is sad and lonely talking to himself. I was like, no, he likes to write, get off his case because I write. So, you know, I think, it's very much a game about finding yourself in video games and finding yourself in art and, you know, just choosing who you identify with based on that. Um, I think my annoyances were just, you know, heightened because of those two things. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, and and I, I do want to take a step back, too, with your – and also I want to say the word wankery because you both got to say it and I hadn't said it yet. Um, but part of the reason why it's not much wankery is because – None of this is ever uh, put out there as being right. There's differing opinions on every level of this game, and you get to decide, is Davey in the right? Is Coda in the right? Are they both wrong? Is it somewhere in the middle? There's no... He's presenting a lot of ideas and a lot of like questions and self-reflections, but never is he saying like, this is how you should feel, or this is how I feel, so you should relate with me. We see multiple different angles, and you kind of get to decide how you want to go about it. Yeah, I think ultimately, I think this game is worth the hour and a half because no matter what, you will come away from it with some thoughts about the nature of games or maybe even just the nature of art that you may not have had before. Um, and what that is going to be for you specifically is probably going to vary, but, 
it's it definitely left me with a lot to think about and um i played through some of it again a second time and i recommend playing this game twice because you know knowing a little more about the characters knowing some of the sort of reveal from the end kind of casts a different light both on the games that you're playing and on the narration from davy the character you know now that you know more about the 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 tension between the two sides of this piece it it's even more interesting i have some questions that the game left me with and i want to kind of get you guys thoughts on it at the very end one of the things that coda asks davy to do is to stop adding light lamp posts to his games We've been seeing these lamp posts throughout and davy had kind of indicated that he thought the lamp post indicated like uh, a goal or a completion to the game um so were those lamp posts really there in the original quote-unquote games were they something that davy added completely and what what did they mean and why well i think why would why would uh, coda need to put lampposts of completion at the end of his games when it's clear that completing his games was never really a goal for him he wasn't designing the games to be able to be completed a lot of his games were either impossible or very difficult to complete or uh, and he didn't seem to be completing them in the sense of finishing you know and shipping either he wasn't sharing the games with people on the internet apart from he may have only been sharing them with Davy um Davy might have been pressuring him to send him more stuff like yeah I, I think there's a distinct possibility that Coda made these games just as like a thought experiment for himself and never and didn't really care too deeply about them and Davy cared far deeper um yeah I think he just Davy couldn't deal with the fact that they weren't games and so just adding that little goal adding that little flag at least made it kind of a game there was an ending you got to it ta-da you have the lamp post i feel like he put it in one or two and then um davy added it to the others so he felt like it was more of a series yeah oh yeah what about the other repeated elements like the switch puzzle and the space in between what was the meaning of that Lazy developer reusing code. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like, it's a designer reusing a puzzle, and he might have wanted to come back to it later. And he had fun with it. But I really think that it was a, you know, we came up with really deep explanations for what is, I wanted a door puzzle. And then I had, you know, he had a little fun with it. But I think it's just a reused element. Yeah, and then Davey ascribes his own, like, deep logic to the space in between those doors when it's probably just, like, Laura's saying, just reused, reused element. Did you have any other questions? <laughs> <laughs> I guess one last question that that I'm still left with was, you know, who is the beginner? And who who is, who? what's the guide? Why is it called the beginner's guide? And I, I, I've been thinking about that a lot since I, I finished it. Most fundamentally, it's probably just called the beginner's guide. It's probably just called the beginner's guide because that's the name that Davey's giving to the collection that's the, the it's a, a beginner's guide to the works of coda right yeah i mean i think that's definitely the surface explanation and if you discount the fact that the last half hour is like the entire narrative falling apart and it's no longer davy really entirely in charge and kind of spreads out from there 
the entire purpose was him teaching us about the works of this one guy. It's our guide to it. Mm-hmm. Um, the after one, that, I don't know, a beginner's the, guide to understanding <laughs> humanity or what it means to be an artist. I don't know. A beginner's guide to not betraying your friend. <laughs> yeah. Oof. The, the one thought that I had that I, I did eventually come around to, and this is my, I guess, preferred interpretation, is just that this game is kind of about games criticism or looking critically at art almost as much as it is about art or about games. And I think in a sense, this may be kind of a guide like to how to look at games. Like once you've had the, I don't know, guts to, to like look deeply at this question, you know, how, what do we learn about people by looking at their art? What do we learn about games by looking at their create? What, excuse me, what do we learn about the creators of games by looking at their games and, and how do we relate to those people that make games in a way that's rational? Maybe this is a beginner's guide to appreciating games. I mean, to me, the beauty of the title and the intelligence of the title is that you never hear the words beginner's guide without that two. Right. And by not explicitly stating a two, it, it is the beginner's guide to everything. Like we really can choose our own adventure like the game is telling us that, you know, I, I think part of it is that there's no one interpretation of a game. It's up to you. And he picked an ambiguous title so that we can all choose our own explanation. I, I think this game was really successful at what it set out for, even if what it set out for is a little different from person to person and a little bit obscure. And so I I think that if you're interested, I mean, obviously we're at a point in the episode where if you, you know, if you decided to listen past us telling you, hey, go out and play this cheap, short game and you just kept listening without playing it anyway, maybe you're not going to play it. But if you... If you're still thinking about it, the game's 10 bucks, and I think it's worth it. And I'm really pleased that I sat down to play it. I'm really glad that, that, you know, that we took the time to do it because it, it, it's, it is something really unusual and something really special. Like it's, I've played other games that are kind of about games, but I don't know if any of them affected me in quite this way. Um, I can contrast it a little bit with, the the magic circle which is another game that we've played recently on this show that's also sort of about games and about the process of making games about game developers another game with a vortex as well mm-hmm. yeah yeah and another game with <laughs> vortex with a coda in it <laughs> mm-hmm. vortex are very symbolic yeah yes. you know we, we keep saying the word like this is a game about games and i don't really think so or rather it i don't think it's I think it's broader than games. Like it's yeah. using a game to tell it, but I never felt any type of there was nothing specific about games. Like the Magic Circle is very specific about game development. It's talking about beta testing, it's talking about like does the community have more uh, control than the actual creators. It is very much about what it means to be someone who makes games, games and what it means to be someone who plays games. This is broader than that like i don't think it makes any real criticisms or questions about game development it's more about like creating things yeah authorship yeah oh yeah exactly it's it's far broader yeah the magic circle is very specifically about like player entitlement 
Mm-hmm. It's about this feeling that that game players often have towards the creators of of games that they love that, you know, I loved this and now you're required to do it again. Or like uh, the Star Wars stuff that's going on right now. How the, the sequel to Battlefront that's coming out 14 years later doesn't have one type of game uh, mechanic that the Star- Battlefront 2 had. So people are like flipping their faces off because it's like of they were expecting it to have this, um, but it doesn't. And maybe that's way too sidebar right now. But mm-hmm. <laughs> something that uh, something that Emily Short wrote in her piece that I really really liked was sort of contrasting this game with um, uh, with the Magic Circle, in that it's not about entitlement to more game or entitlement to a game the way that we want it as players, but it's an entitlement to, she said, the author's biographical truth. Coda, she said, is constantly trying to hide himself, but Davy, the character, is constantly fighting through the barricades and even hacking Coda's games in order to try to expose more of an elusive personality. So, like, we're, the, the game here is really about feeling entitled as someone who appreciates art to to discover more about the person that created it, even when maybe they feel that violates their privacy. Um, so it is, or it, it has a lot in common with the magic circle. I thought a lot about the magic circle as I was playing it, but they are, they're pretty distinctly different and they have different messages. And I think both are totally worth playing. And the magic circle is actually a game. Yeah. It's, it's also like, much funnier than this in a lot of yeah. ways. Not so. like this, I, you know, I generally am of the mind that, like, if you can run around with controls and press buttons, that's a game. Um, but the Magic Circle has, like, mechanics and puzzles and and things like that. This is really just, like, move forward, sometimes press a button. Uh, sometimes you can only move backwards, but you're really just walking. Yeah, this is, a, this is an interactive narrative experience, and I... I am I am a big tent believer in games. This is a game in my book, but I could I could see an argument uh, to the contrary. Uh, this is you know this is more just about a telling of a story using really interesting interactive narrative tools. So, if people want to play this game, this game is available on Steam and also on the Humble Store and a couple other places. I think if you look around for it, you'll find it. Uh, it's ten bucks nine ninety nine. And uh, I would say if you have the option, buy it through the Humble Store. As usual, the uh, the developer will get a little more cash, and you will get a uh, DRM-free copy as well as a Steam key, so go that way. Um, this will play on Mac and PC. I played it on, uh, on Mac, and it played just fine, so I would go with whatever's most convenient for you. Um, and uh, like we said already in this episode, it will take you about an hour to an hour and a half to complete. Actually, I think probably right at an hour and a half. It's almost a timed experience. Yeah. Like there's you're really just following a path. Yeah. Set down with this like you would a movie and, and you'll get through it in the right amount of time. Uh, before we sign off, I guess this is a week where asking what's everybody been up to this week is almost almost ludicrous. <laughs> Nate, what have you been up to this week? Well, I want to, uh, you know, uh, thank the the two of you. Uh Reagan and Laura for coming out to the wedding and Shane I know you would have been there if, if you could have um I've been hanging out with you guys and also yeah. like a hunt a hundred of my other uh friends and family there were like um, 300 people at your wedding I don't know how you managed it you're popular 
Well, I'm fortunate enough to have uh, Molly and I both have large families and large friend groups. Um, and it was great to have you guys there. Um, as far the last few days, I have been playing. Um, Molly and I have been playing what was actually a gift from Laura, the Super Mario uh, Mario World 3D, which was for the Wii U. And I have to say, I have been enjoying this game immensely. That game is delightful. It is is one of the... uh, So I'll play any... I've played basically every Mario title. Not all the side titles, you know, Mario doing this, Mario doing that, but all like the Mario titles I've done. I had not, I had missed this one, um, but my, Molly and I had talked about getting it for a long time and on a whim, we threw it on our registry and now we have it. And uh, it is so much fun. They, they missed nothing with this game. It's like the perfect combination of Mario 64 and uh, like all the side scrolling Mario's and then hints towards Every other Mario that's existed, even like the DS Mario's. Plus, you can play as Peach, and and Peach can dress as a cat. So, Cat Peach is clearly the best thing that's happened to video games in a while. It's like every single Mario game mashed into one. There, you get the character select like Mario Two. The cat suit is entirely new. (laughs) It plays like Mario sixty four, but you can play multiplayer. Uh, up to four players like you can on uh, new Super Mario Brothers Wii and new Super Mario Brothers Wii U. Uh, it's great, and I can't recommend it enough. We've been having a blast with it. Laura, what have you been up to? Um, I just downloaded today my copy of Downwell. Um, Ooh, that was yes. a game I, I hyped after uh, Bitbash, and it is um, an endless faller where you have a kind of machine gun boots and it is super fun. Everyone's comparing it to Splunky. Um, it you you had me at machine gun boots. Yeah, I have I mean, to say, like I would compare it a little more to, and I've only played it for maybe an hour. I downloaded it mm-hmm. a couple of days ago. I would compare it a lot to Cave Story as well. Yep the the fun parts of Cave Story where you finally leveled up your machine gun just enough to kind of use it as a jetpack, and you're just barreling through. It's so fun. It, it's kind of you know, that perfect length of it's really hard, you know, but it's, it's super energetic and action packed. Um, other than that, I was traveling a lot. So I did a lot of reading of comic books, but, um, so didn't get much past a couple extra things for IF comp, which we'll talk about in another episode. Yep. And, uh, this game and, uh, uh, lots of machine gun boots. I saw your keep talking and nobody explodes has been uh, getting a lot of press lately. You were talking about that from Bitbash as well, right? I did, and I was trying to... Uh, I, I threw it into the chat, but ha- no one's responded yet, but I'd like to do a um, over-the-Skype gameplay of that. We'll have to decide who is going to be defusing the bomb. That would be really neat. Maybe we could work out a way to stream that or something. A short episode or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Shane, what have you been up to this week? Well, I've been here in uh, California with you, so uh, you are well aware of what I've been doing this week. But uh, in terms of games, I haven't been doing too much. I've been sneaking in a few rounds of Destiny here and there. Um, Just briefly, in terms of entitlement, uh, I'm really mad that they nerfed the Strange Coin drop, and that's all I'll say about it. (laughs) (laughs) Bummer, bro. Um, And uh, for me, it's been a pretty neat uh, week uh, hanging out with my bro Shane, and before that, visiting you folks. I know, we turned 30. 3-0. Kind of horrified. Does that mean that like 
culture no longer caters to us. That's true. Like we're gonna we're gonna only be playing uh, retro stuff from here on out. Isn't the demographic twenty one to thirty five? Isn't that the like the the key one? Oh, it used to be eighteen to twenty five. Well, that's a good one too. That's also a good I, demographic. But there's a, I thought one went from like the 20s. Maybe it's like 25 to 30. I thought there was a good one still that was like up to 35. And then after that, like you're like an old person who doesn't matter. I'm just going to go with that because I've still got disposable income, guys. Cater to my needs. But yeah, yeah. It, it's been a it's been a neat week uh, for just, you know, IRL stuff. But um, games wise, um, I've been continuing to play through uh, um, Until Dawn. So uh, and I, I've almost completed that or, you know, almost gotten the quote unquote good ending where everybody lives. So I really, really recommend that once again. Hopefully someday we'll be able to talk about it in some depth on the show. But it's a it's a really, really great game for listeners of this show. If you haven't checked it out, it started selling a little cheaper now. So you can probably pick it up for about 40 bucks instead of 60. If you have a PlayStation 4, I strongly recommend it. And I also started playing Downwell, like uh, Laura was talking about. It's pretty rad. So thank you so much for joining us once again on this episode of The Short Game. You can find our show on Twitter at underscore short game, or you can go to www.theshortgame.net where you'll find a feedback form, all of our past episodes, and uh, some information about upcoming episodes. We expect probably next week we'll be returning with some more impressions of more games from this year's IF Comp, which has been shaping up as the best one in years. So if you liked last week's episode, there's more of that coming. Uh, I've been your host, Reagan Kelly, and you can find me on Twitter at R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Laura, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. Nate, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Nate STL. Poor Cardinals. <laughs> oh, yeah, too soon. Too how, soon. How are things with your your other podcast? I, I mean, you know, it's pretty much uh, going to be on hold for a f- for a little while, but it's, that's the nature of a sports podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Shane, how how can people find you? I'm at Eight Bit Shane. And thank you so much once again for joining us on this episode of the Short Game. <laughs>